Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. The Bible tells us that His mercies are new every morning, and so this is a new year filled with new mercies from God and a reminder of God's great faithfulness. God gives us these kind of times, these fresh starts. He gives us a fresh start every day. He gives us a new week every week, and then once a year we kind of get that new year, that fresh start. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Some of you, uh, we, we mentioned a young couple got engaged, they're probably doing pretty well today. They're probably pretty excited about life. And others have had some great blessings, and, and I saw Ben sitting right behind me. They just welcomed a new baby girl just in the last week or two. And, and you may find yourself in a season of great hope and great blessing and, and great, really, excitement for what the new year holds. And the reality is, because life is filled with seasons, that undoubtedly there are some that are sitting here this morning that that's not where you find yourself. You find yourself in a season uh, maybe of doubt and of fear and of uncertainty and maybe discouragement. Maybe you're you're frustrated with yourself and some decisions you made last year and and some consequences that you're facing. Maybe you're, you're, you're hurt by something that's happened in your life. I don't know where you find yourself. But I think the words of of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary and founder of the China Inland Mission many, many decades ago are appropriate this morning. I read a quote of his this week. When the bank account of the China Inland Mission had just 25 cents left in its account, Hudson Taylor wrote to a coworker, he said this, we have this and all the promises of God. We have these 25 cents and all the promises of God. What a great perspective. And I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know what you're going through, but this morning, this first day of 2023, I want to remind you that whatever you have in your life, you have that and all the promises of God. Isn't that a beautiful reminder? William Carey, the man who is known by many as the founder of modern missions, or the father of modern missions, he famously said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And you know, as humans, we're, we're, we're fairly myopic, meaning we focus on what's right in front of us. We get kind of tunnel vision, and whatever we're in, if it's, a, if it's a good season, then everything's great, and if it's a bad season, then everything's bad. And often in the middle of seasons, we really can't see to the other side of that, can we? We, we can't see, we use that phrase, a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I, I want to remind you, wherever you find yourself this morning, what William Carey said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. This morning I want to bring a message to you entitled, An Old Promise for a New Year. An old promise for a new year. Last year we began going verse by verse through the book of Genesis, in the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And as we continue, we're continuing that series this morning, we'll continue to walk through the book of Genesis, that book of beginnings, that book of spiritual foundations, that understanding of who God is and what His plan is for this world. We're going to continue through that in 2023, but, but this morning we're not going to start in the Old Testament. I think it's fitting in a new year that we start in the New Testament, and we'll make our way to our text in Genesis 17. But this morning in the New Testament, we're going to look at a 4,000-year-old promise. 
It's going to start in Galatians, and then we're going to go back. A 4,000-year-old promise in Genesis that is as new and as meaningful today in 2023 as it was when it was given around 2000 B.C. I want you to turn with me if you have a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you're following along on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible this morning. I would encourage you, as I do just about every Sunday, I would encourage you to follow along for yourself. Uh, we're going to look at today probably a good 30, 30-ish verses, something like that. And if there's any power in anything that I say this morning, it's not in my preparation. It's not in my personality, it's not in my sense of humor, it's not in my ideas, my preferences, my traditions, my opinions. If there's any power, any lasting truth that you're going to take with you this morning, it's going to be because of the power of the Word of God. And so I'd encourage you, follow along. If you didn't bring a copy of, your, uh, of God's Word with you, there, as I mentioned, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you, or you can jump on a phone or a tablet there and, and find that. We're going to be, if you'll go to Genesis 17 and place a marker there, and then turn over to Galatians 3. These two passages go together. We're going we're gonna to start in Galatians 3. So find Genesis 17, place a marker there, and then find our text in Genesis chapter number 3. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter number 3. Genesis 17, Galatians 3. Galatians is what we call a Pauline epistle. That just means a letter written by Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote more books than anybody else in the Bible. And he writes this book, it's a letter written to the churches at Galatia. Galatia is just a region in modern-day Turkey. He writes this letter to churches, not a single church, but churches in this region. He would write the letter and then send it around. And, and this Galatians, really, he's, he's really dealing with legalism, those that were seeking to add law to the gospel for salvation and sanctification, to get saved and or to try to improve on their salvation. And legalism does not only impact our, our doctrine of justification, it can also impact negatively our doctrine of sanctification. And, and, and Paul makes that very clear, and he's writing this letter to talk to them here. And I want you to pick it up in Galatians chapter number 3. Let's begin in verse number 13. Galatians 3. Verse number 13, Paul is giving them a great thesis, a great treatise on on salvation, on the promises of God. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. When you're reading the New Testament, and anytime you see them talking about the law, it's taking you back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's taking you back to what we might call the Mosaic Law, the Jewish Law. It's the law that even today, I was in Israel in September, you go there, Orthodox Jews and and Orthodox Jews in America, they would follow this law, the 613 commandments given in the Old Testament. This is what he's saying. He said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Aren't you glad Christ was cursed for us? For it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of who, church? Verse 14, the blessing of who? Abraham. Wait a second. He's talking to new believers in a new church plant in modern-day Turkey that are Gentiles, and he's talking about Abraham, the father, the patriarch of the Jewish people back thousands of years ago. He says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he says there's a promise that was given to Abraham that Christ made available, it was given to Abraham for the Jewish people, that Christ made available for everyone. I don't want to get too far down into the weeds here, but I do want to stop and just explain. I don't have time to go into it deeply today because of where we're going with our message. 
I do not believe in what, for those that might be aware of it, what is called replacement theology, meaning that the church has replaced Israel. I believe that God made a specific promise to the people of Israel. I believe just, if it's a geographic promise, we'll see it here in a minute. I, I think just their existence today, and if you've ever been to Israel and their God-given protection and their blessing is a very clear indicator that that, that promise did not get replaced. The church doesn't replace Israel. God gave a specific promise to a specific people, but he allows the Gentiles, he allows those that were not from there to be grafted in spiritually into that promise, and it's a beautiful thing. Verse 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or added thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So God gave a promise to Abraham, the law came 400 years later, the law doesn't annul that promise. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Look, if you will, verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? Why, why did God give the law in the Old Testament? These people in the New Testament, they were getting all caught up in keeping a long list of rules. They were starting to think that Christianity was an outside-in proposition. If I do all the right things on the outside, it makes me right inside. And Paul is telling them it's never been that way. Christianity is supposed to be an inside-out proposition. It's supposed to be a relationship with God that changes us from the inside, and then fruits naturally flow from us. He's saying you're getting so focused on the law. You've been saved by grace, but now you think you're somehow going to become a better Christian by keeping this long list of rules. He says, oh no, that's, that was never, what was the purpose of the law? It was never that. He said, why did we have the law? It was added because of transgressions, verse 19, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, here it is, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. He says, you're not going to be saved by the law. The law was just a teacher. The law, God gave laws to show you you were bad, not to make you right. And even today, sometimes Christians think, if I keep these laws, they make me right. No, the law was to show us we could never be right. The Ten Commandments, all of us have broken at least one or more of those commandments. That law is to show us we needed a Savior. He says it in another place, the law is like a mirror. He says, you go in and you see a mirror, and what does it do? It shows you that you're dirty. But no one goes in and cleans themselves with a mirror. They clean themselves with water and soap. He says, the law is to show you your need for cleansing. The cleansing comes from Christ. 
That's what he's telling them here. He's saying it's a promise, and it was a, we were immature. It was, a, it was a teacher. Verse 25, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. This, this, this Christian life is not a burdensome list of a bunch of rules. It's a beautiful relationship that we fall in love with Christ, and then the love of Christ constraineth me. I love him because he first loved me, and as I fall in love with him, now I want to. I don't have to speak kindly to my wife. I want to speak kindly to my wife because God has been so kind to me. I don't have to be honest so that I can get to heaven. I want to be honest because God gave His only begotten Son to die for me. It's an inside-out life, not an outside-in life. So he's teaching him in Galatians. They were all mixed up in legalism, all mixed up in the law, a group of churches, uh, believers. And then he says, verse 26, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is, here it is, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. This is not saying gender doesn't matter. We live in a, in a crazy day where now our, our minds think, oh, this, is not, this is saying in God's sight that he is no respecter of persons. In their culture, there was, there was much Jews and Gentiles were treated very differently. Male and female were treated very differently from one another. He's saying in Christ, we all, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's for all of us. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your skin pigmentation. It doesn't matter your country of origin. It doesn't matter your family of origin. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your your financial uh, uh, achievements or lack thereof. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And again, they lived in a culture where there was a lot of this, this posturing. Verse 29, would you read it aloud with me? Galatians 3, verse 29. Ready? Begin. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according. If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what promise is that? What are we heirs of? This is 2,000 years later. Now we're 2,000 years past this. So what we just read is 2,000 years after the promise, around there. And where we're living is 2,000 years after what we just read. So if those that are Christ are heirs according to the promise, what is the promise? I want you to turn now, if you will, to our text, Genesis chapter number 17, where we'll stay for the remainder of our message this morning. Genesis chapter number 17. He said, if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How many of you have ever heard or sung what might be the most annoying children's song in the history of the world, Father Abraham? Anybody know that song? How many of you have never heard it? You've been blessed to never have heard that. Okay. Father, it's kind of, I think it's kind of like the Christian hokey pokey. It's kind of what it is. Father Abraham had many sons. How's it go? And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. Now you just learned it, and you do that like 20 times, and you go, right arm, and then you sing that whole verse again, left arm, right foot, left foot, spin around, sit down, and it goes forever, and you can't get it out of your head. You'll be singing that the rest of 2023 now, you'll be singing Father Abraham. You're going to try to go to bed tonight, you're going to be singing that. But that, that annoying little children's song has great truth, it comes from this passage. I am one of them, he has many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. And it's speaking of Galatians, and it's taking us back to Genesis chapter number 17, what is the promise? 
For new believers living in Galatia, non-Jews, Paul's referring to a promise that still applies to us today. Whatever promise God made Abraham, Paul said that we are heirs to that promise. So these are not just dusty, archaic, irrelevant words. What we are about to study are the things that we have been made heirs into. We have, we have been made united into this promise. About four or five years ago, our family purchased a home. Well, I guess it's the bank's house. We're paying them for it uh, for the remainder of our lives. But we, we bought a house in Lake Forest. And when we were doing the closing documents, one of the things we had to sign was, they said, here is the solar agreement for solar panels that sit on your house, and you are now heirs of this promise. There were, there were people, when, long before we ever had any idea that we would live in Southern California, when we were living in Northern California, there was a couple that lived in that home that decided to make a covenant or a promise or a contract with a solar company to put solar panels up there. And when we, when we chose to buy that house, we entered into that covenant. Guess what? Every month, I paid the bill that that couple agreed to pay. Every month, I use the power that that comes from the solar panels that that couple decided to put on the house. We became partners in that contract. We became heirs in that covenant. It affects our lives every day. The power we use every day is because of a contract. The bill I pay every month is because of, or lack thereof. Aren't you not supposed to pay a bill when you get solar? I thought that was the whole point of solar. Somehow I'm still paying bills every month. And, 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 and I was made into that. The same is true of this covenant between God and Abraham, only on a far deeper and more important way than our solar panel contract. A contract, a covenant, a promise that took place thousands of years ago still applies to you and to me. An old promise for a new year. Let's jump into the old promise for our new year. I want you to see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, it's a personal promise. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. That doesn't mean sinless, that means sincere, complete, a man of integrity. And I will make my covenant, my promise between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. You see here, very personal, God comes to speak to Abraham. He says, I'm going to do this for you. I I care about you. We see this with Adam and Eve, God walking in the cool of the day. And I just want to stop and remind you that the God we serve is not some far-off nebulous being that does not care about the matters of men. The Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on our heads. And we're making that easier, some of us are on him, aren't we? The Bible says that a sparrow can't fall without him knowing God. No, I can't understand that. My finite mind can't comprehend it. But God cares. He's a personal God. Jesus is a personal Savior. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. I love in those two verses right there, there are three names of God given. The first one, it says the Lord, that is Jehovah. Then it says Almighty God, that is El Shaddai. And then it says in verse number two, it says, uh, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse number three, Abram fell on his face and God, that is Elohim. These three different, God, the th- same God, three names for God, and, and some would suggest that that's a picture of the Trinity making this covenant there, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and those the, being with us and pouring out unto us, God wants a relationship with you. He knows you. And by the way, He wants you to know Him. Amen. Sometimes I think we get this idea, we, like God is this scary 
angry dictator sitting up in heaven waiting to strike us down with lightning when we do something wrong. We walk in fear of him. I know the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord, which is speaking of the reverence, the respect, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, he does not, he calls us his, he calls himself, he is our heavenly father. He calls us his children. And we sometimes think, what is God's plan for my life? And it's this mysterious thing he wants me to, by the way, if you have children, do you want to make it hard for them to know what to do that would bring you pleasure and bring you joy and bring you peace in your life? No. You want them to walk in the right ways. You want them to walk in the right path. You want to do everything you can to help them go in those right paths. God is not up there trying to trick you and, oh, I got them to do wrong there. And and he's not up there, by the way, looking. There are consequences to sin. He is a just and a righteous and a holy God, but he's also long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. He's not standing up there with lightning bolts waiting to strike the next one that did wrong because, by the way, if he were, none of us would be here this morning. He's, He's full of mercy. He loves us. He's a personal God. He knows you, and he wants you to know him. He longs to have personal fellowship with you. He wants to meet with you daily in his word. It's why we're doing that Bible reading plan. Try to encourage you. You don't have to do that if you don't want to, but we want to encourage folks to fall in love with God's word and and to read his word and to pray multiple times each day. The Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint. Prayer, you can have a time and a place for prayer, and that's a good thing. But you don't only have to pray in a certain chair for a certain few minutes on a certain list. It's a relationship. You know, there are times where my wife and I schedule time for us to talk, and then there are times that things just come up and she sends me a quick text. Or she calls me, or we're in the house, hey Ryan, what about this? And we just have a relationship, and you know that's what God wants with you. When there's a burden on your heart and you're walking to the store, you're walking into the grocery, God, you know I'm struggling with this, would you help me? Would you give me peace there? And God, I don't, I don't know, but help me to have the faith to rest in you. And Lord, I, you just brought to mind that, that, that friend of ours, would you be with that family? I don't know what they're going through. And God, I, that one that's going through cancer treatments right now, would you, you see a car that reminds you of somebody, and Lord, I just thought of them. And it's just a relationship. He wants to be a personal God. He is a personal God. He wants to be your personal God. He knows you. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. And he wants to be a part of every part of your heart and life. I see here, not only is he a per, was it a personal promise, I see a promise of blessing. Verse number three. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of what, church? In the end of verse number four, a father of what? Many nations. That's an interesting phrase. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, which Abram means, uh, means uh, high father. He changes it. He adds the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You'll be called Abraham, or Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. That He changed it from a high father to a father of many nations. He says in verse 6, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. This is crazy talk. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. He gives them a promise. He gives Abraham and Sarah a promise of blessing. He promises, he says, he promised to make them a people. He says, many nations, innumerable multitude. By the way, this was crazy. How old is Abraham? We read it earlier. He's 99. And you know what he has? He has one, I guess you could say, kind of humanly speaking, at least spiritually speaking, illegitimate child. One illegitimate teenager, 13-year-old named Ishmael. A 99-year-old with one 13-year-old, and God's going to make of him many nations? And God's going to bring kings out of him? 
and the bloodline of Christ is going to come through him? This promise makes no sense, but he said, I have a promise of blessing. I promise that I will do these things to you. The promise seemed impossible, and by the way, I'm not here. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is not the prosperity gospel, but there are times where promises in God's Word might seem impossible to us, but it's a reminder that if God has promised it, He will fulfill it. If God has said it, He will do it. God, by the way, did make many nations of Abraham and innumerable people, what we would call maybe the Palestinians, those nations, that is, from the bloodline of Ishmael. The Jewish nation and all of the Jewish people around the world, that is the bloodline of Isaac. And by the way, because of the promise that we are partakers of, every Christian on earth, we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. A 99-year-old with one 13-year-old son got a promise like this that made no sense, and God came through. Not only did He promise to make them a people, He promised them a land. He said there in verse 8, I'm going to give unto you the land where you're a stranger. I'm going to give you this land, the land of Canaan, and we are heirs of the promise of Canaan. In the Bible, when you read about Canaan, it is a picture for the Christian of victorious Christian living. It is a picture of living where God wants you to live under the blessings that God wants you to have, that land of milk and honey. Now, for the Israelites, it's a specific geographic place that God promised them, that land where they live today, the nation of Israel, that little strip right there was promised. And by the way, it's a very prosperous and fruitful land, just as God promised that it would be in the middle of desert all around it. And He promised them that land, but spiritually speaking, we are spiritual heirs of that promise. God said, I want to give you the land of Canaan. I want you to live in victorious Christian living. God wants us to live in victory, not defeat. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. God wants us to live in faith, not in fear. This isn't some trite uh, uh, motivational speech. These are the promises of God. And, And Paul told the churches at Galatia, the promises that God gave to Abraham, you are spiritual heirs to those promises. Not only the promise of Canaan, but we're heirs of heaven. That promised land that he told his followers, Jesus did in John in chapter number 14, what did he say? I go and prepare a place for you. You have a promised land. If you know me as Savior, you will live forever in heaven. What a promise. I have a, we as the seed of Abraham, we have a promised land. That hope of heaven, that reality of heaven. And by the way, we should live in light of the promise of that land. If we live every day with heaven in view, it'll change how we live on earth today. If you live today with heaven in view, it'll change how you live on earth today. We face trials, yes, and heartaches, yes, and difficulties, yes. I don't see them here. I know they've been in a difficult season. Two weeks ago about the Malapudis saw their 50-year-old son, Stephen, die unexpectedly of a health issue, possibly something with his heart. And I was texting their son, Daniel, who's a pastor in Oregon this week, and he made this statement speaking of the family's grief. He said, it's a weird in-between we live in. The hope of heaven is real, so is the grief of today's and tomorrow's. And we live in that that in-between, don't we? Grief can be real, but we have a promised land. 
We have the hope of heaven, the promise of heaven. And by the way, we don't just have to wait till heaven. God wants us to enjoy his, his land here. The Bible says that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean he wants to make all of us healthy, wealthy, and wise. What it means is he wants us to know the joy of living a life filled with purpose, filled with faith, filled with knowing who he is and why he's placed us here. Leads me to my next thought. He promised to give them a purpose. Verse number six, he said, I'm going to make you exceeding fruitful. I have a plan for you and your people. God doesn't want you, church, this, week, this year living and wandering in a fruitless existence, chasing the wind. No, he has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Fruit and purpose comes through fulfilling his plan. What did Jesus tell his followers? Without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Nothing. But abide in me, and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. What does it mean? Your life will matter. You'll make a difference. You'll impact others. Abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. What is he saying? A promise of a purpose. I, I promise to make you exceeding fruitful. How many of us, we get somewhere along our lives, we call it in American society, a midlife crisis. We come somewhere into our 40s or 50s where we know we might have a little less time ahead of us than we have behind us, and we start looking back and think, that was it? That was everything? There was a, there was a video, I've shown it before, of Tom Brady. Tom Brady, after he had won, I think, his third Super Bowl. And he tells the interview in a very candid, transparent thing. You can find it on YouTube. He said, I got to that place and I thought, there's got to be more than this. This is it? This is all it is? This is what I gave my whole life to? And God, and that, by the way, that happens not just to professional athletes or to Tom Brady. That happens to you and to me when we give our lives to things that don't matter for eternity. We look back and say, why was I put here? But God gave us a promise. I want you to be exceeding fruitful. I want you to fulfill my purpose for your life. Number three, it was a symbolized promise. Verse number nine. And God said unto Abram, thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. And it continues on, verse 14, and those who are not, says this, his soul shall be cut off from his people. Verse, end of verse 14, he hath broken my covenant. What was this for the people of Israel? God Established an outward difference to, to show an inward decision. He said, This is how, this is, this is a step you can take that shows that you are, you are identifying me as your God. That will make you different from the Gentiles, that will make you different from those around you, from the unbelievers. That those that believe the promise were true were to symbolize it or signify it. And I want to stop and say here, this is just as th some of these are physical things specifically for the, the, the people of Israel, spiritually speaking, these are good reminders that it has always been God's plan that his, his people are to be different from the unbelievers around them. Can I say that again? It's a good reminder that it has always been God's plan that his people are to be different from those around them. God did not tell us to be conformed to this world, to be transformed. God didn't call us to walk after the lusts of this world, but to deny the flesh and walk in the spirit. 
The Jews would bear a permanent distinction from the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, it was a physical difference. In the New Testament, it is a difference. By the way, Paul deals with this specific physical difference in the New Testament and says, you don't need this. This is, not, this is not still a symbol that means you love God or you need to follow God. This has nothing to do with it, but he said you need to circumcise your heart. You need to cut away the parts of your heart that are not what they should be. You need to, now it's not a physical difference that should, that should show the difference. It's a spiritual difference that should change us, and it will work its way out into our lives physically, spiritually, relationally. God wants his people to be different. There's a scourge in modern Christianity today where it seems that believers and churches and even pastors long to be as much like the world as they can in word, in thought, in deed, in our integrity. We as pastors, we become nothing more than just well-polished CEOs, where we lose the power of God, the passion for God, the hunger for His Word. We, we preach what is a politically acceptable message so that we can get larger crowds and bigger offerings, rather than preaching the whole counsel of God. And it has always been God's plan, from the pastor to the pew, that there be something different about the followers of God. There is no difference, it seems, in many churches and in many Christians and even our homes between the holy and the profane. We walk, talk, and live like the world. Second Corinthians still says, by the way, you say, well, that's all Old Testament law stuff. Second Corinthians still says, come out from among them and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, saith the Lord. First Peter still says, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Our lifestyle, it is written, be ye holy, separate, different, for I am holy. As partakers of the promises of God, we should be a separated people. Maybe some of us should consider in 2023, by the way, the, the change they were supposed to do to signify the... the uh, their, their promise with God, it was a permanent and a painful change. And maybe some of us should stop and think, what are some things I need to cut out of my life that might hurt? Some habits, some priorities, some relationships, some addictions, some behaviors. What are some things that I need to change? Why? Be ye holy, for I am holy. There should be a difference in the people of God. In 2023, what things can we cut out of our lives as we seek to unashamedly identify with the God who has called you, redeemed you, and given you himself in every promise? And then lastly, I see it was a faith-filled promise. Verse number 15. It was a faith-filled promise. And God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai. So Abraham, Abraham, Abraham gets a new name. Now his wife gets a new name. But Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. By the way, she's 79 years old and has no children when this promise comes. Guess what that promise takes? Faith. I don't think there are any, any 79-year-olds expecting to be a mother of nations. This is a faith-filled promise. It's a promise you have to take by faith, because you can't figure it out, humanly speaking. There's no way for it to happen, humanly speaking. He says, I'll, I'll bless her, verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. You know, I've often read that and thought, like Sarah in verse chapter 18, she's going to laugh as well, and God's even going to tell them to call their son Isaac, which means laughter. They laughed three times in this. And I've often read that, that Abram was doubting like Sarah was. 
I don't think that's the case when you study it with the New Testament um, recollection of this passage, and you see here God does not correct Abraham at all. He does correct Sarah's laugh. He says, why is she laughing at me? I think this was just an indicator of Abraham's personal relationship. So God tells him, you're going to do this. But notice what his response is when he laughs. He fell upon his face. That's an act of submission, an act of worship. And he said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. He may have been doubting some, but I really think this was, God, I don't understand it. That's that's crazy. God's going to give a 100-year-old man, a 90-year-old lady, Sarah's going to be in labor. Oh, man. I think he's just kind of going through it in his mind. It's just kind of like, you'd be laughing too, right? Or crying, one of the two. got to do one or the other. You got to laugh so you don't cry. But we see here Abram, he's given a faith-filled promise, and Abram worships. He falls before God, and he he listens. The promise was humanly impossible. And in order for you and for me to see God work in the ways he wants to work, we have to come to the end of ourselves, our plans, our wisdom. We have to come to the end of, this is what I want, and this is how I can do it, and here's how I can make my life better. And we have to come and say, God, (laughs) wow, following you, that seems crazy. God, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out, but you've called me to be faithful. You've called me to walk with you. You've called, and whatever that is, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to rest in your promises. I'm going to trust you. Faith, the Bible says, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, simply put, is believing without seeing. Do you? Or do you only believe what you can see? You're partakers, I'm partakers of the promises of God, but only when we receive them by faith. We saw it in Galatians over and over again. He said the only way you're going to get this promise is by faith. The only way that you can get to heaven is by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that believes that he is must, must come to him and must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This year, you and I are going to have to learn to walk by faith. We're going to have to learn to stand on the promises. And as the songwriter said, if we're going to stand on the promises, it will have to be by faith. That old hymn says, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living Word of God. Not my own thoughts, not my own words, but by the faith in the Word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I shall not fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. I'm going to rest. What what does rest take? It takes faith. You know when you can't sleep? When you're scared to death. When you're scared to death, you ever been, you ever been out camping and you heard a bear or an animal, you heard something? We were in Africa with a, a group from our church a few years back, and we stayed in one of these tent things, these um, like a, a, a tent hotel, whatever glamping thing, in the middle of an animal reserve. And one of our children swears to this day there was a leopard or a cheetah on the roof of our, our tent. And they told us that animals come through there, lions will walk through there, elephants will walk through there. They said in certain times, be careful, the cobras will come into the tent. 
Guess what he said? He said, I didn't, I told you it wasn't Ashland, it was one of our three boys, we have three boys there. He said, I didn't sleep very much, and one of those boys didn't go, so it was one of two boys. Um, (laughs) I didn't sleep very much. I didn't sleep very much last night. Dad, why? Because I was scared. You know what? I slept fine. I wasn't scared. If we're going to rest, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. An old promise for a new year, you have to take it by faith. Our faith, by the way, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. You can go back and read the last eight verses of the chapter. From there, by the way, Abram says, make, make Ishmael a nation, and God says, I will. And that's why we have today the Arab-Israeli conflict to this day. It's from here in Genesis. Ishmael, the line of Abraham. Isaac, the line of Abraham. The, the Arab line, the Jewish line, they've been, they've been fighting for 4,000 years. He said, I will make them a nation, but then what we see is Abram's faith. He had received the Word of God, and by the way, it was a strange command. That that symbol was a very strange command that nobody had ever done. And it was really painful, and it was permanent, and it was very personal. It was a really strange command. And at the end of the chapter, you know what you see Abram doing? You see him obeying that command for himself, and for his children, and for every man in his house. And I just want to stop and say this. That if we are people of faith, it should impact those around us. It should make a difference in the lives in which we influence. If your faith makes no spiritual change in your marriage or in your home, what good is it? If your faith impacts your children in no way, how strong is it? What did James say? Show me your faith by your works. Let me see something actually coming from your faith. And Abram's faith, he took God at his promise. He said, here's the covenant. If you believe me, this is what you're willing to do. Something very personal, very painful, very permanent. He said, if you're willing to do this, at the end of the chapter, we see Abram saying, yes, Lord, by faith, I'm willing to change my family. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to do what you've said to obey your word when I like it, to obey your word when I don't like it, to stay faithful when it makes sense and when it doesn't. I promise to do that, and our faith should impact those around us. If our faith is making no difference in anybody's lives, including our own, we have to stop and ask ourselves, is the lack of power because God, God, God lacks power, or because maybe we're not following? as we should be. Every week in preparation for my messages, I, I read the Scripture many times. I read the passage, the context through Genesis. I read different commentaries. I read books. I have about seven different commentaries in Genesis right now that I use. Sometimes I'll read a blog or an article that I see, social media posts. I saw that post on the China Inland Mission on social media this week. I thought it was a great. It went right along. I knew I was preaching on promises. We have this and all the promises of God. I thought it was a great quote. I get, get ideas from different places. Sometimes I include quotes from those sources on, in my messages or on the screens. Today is a first for me. For the first time ever, artificial intelligence was a part of my sermon preparation. A few weeks ago, I heard about this thing called Open Chat AI or something like that. Anybody heard of that? A few of you heard of this. It was on the news. And it was talking about how this, this, whatever it is, artificial intelligence, you can type in and it can, it can give you research, it can give you, it can type an email for you. My son typed a beautiful, a beautiful heartfelt note to his sister on our family thread this week that she responded thinking, wow, my brother's so nice, and found out it was artificial intelligence. It can be used in really bad ways. He, he can write poems for you, write essays, write emails, you just put the subject in. And so I had heard about it. I, I thought, anybody in here try it? Have anybody try it? A few of you out there have tried this already. And now some of you are going to do that this afternoon. It's the only thing you're going to get from the message is to go try it. 
It's really mind-blowing. It's much different than Google or Wikipedia. It's not just giving you an article about information. It's compiling information and putting it in a personal format. And so I thought it'd be fun to check it out, knowing my message and where I was going. I typed this in. Here's the thing I typed. I said, write a sermon comparing God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 17 to God's promises to Christians in Galatians 3. It only gave me six paragraphs, so I still had to do some studying on my own this week, but I actually didn't do it till yesterday when I was done with my message, and I just wanted to see what it said. It gave me six paragraphs in two seconds. It began typing six paragraphs of a sermon, just right when I pushed enter, started typing it. It's a little scary to think someday soon I may be replaced by a robot. You'll have Pastor Robot, Pastor Artificial Intelligence. I didn't, I didn't think anything of it when they replaced the cashiers at Walmart and the cashiers at McDonald's. I didn't think they were coming for my job too, though. I didn't see that coming. The AI generator, though, had a really good final application that I finished with this morning regarding Genesis 17 and Galatians 3. The last few paragraphs, it said, just as Abraham was justified by faith, so too are we justified by faith in Jesus Christ. God's promise to Abraham was not just for Abraham and his descendants, but for all who believe in Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we are no longer under a curse. But rather, we receive the promise of salvation. What a beautiful truth. And if you've never received the promise of salvation, make today the first day of the new year, the day when you are no longer under a curse, but you receive the promise of salvation. It goes on to say, God's promises to Abraham and to us are not just empty words, but are backed by his faithfulness and power. Isn't that good? An old promise for a new year, they're backed by his, good preaching, AI, backed by his faithfulness and power. By the way, AI got this wrong, I had to correct AI. AI said, as the writer of Hebrews declares, and then it gave me a verse in Numbers. So, see, it's not ready for my job yet. As the writer of Numbers declares, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? A reminder that if God has promised it, you can rest in it. And then the last paragraph. God's promises to Abraham and to us are a source of hope and encouragement in this world. They remind us that God is faithful, and He is working out His his plan for our lives. Let us trust in His promises and strive to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, confident that God will fulfill His promises to us. Amen. You can leave that that screen up. I want you to remember, it says, I love it. They're a source of hope and encouragement. His promises to Abraham 4,000 years ago, they remind us that God is faithful and that he's working out his plan. Let us trust in his promises and strive to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, confident that God will fulfill his promises to us. Go ahead and leave that slide up. Not bad for artificial intelligence, is it? I'll be honest, I got a little insecure by how good it was and how it came up with it much faster than I do. Could this thing really take my job, I wondered? So I wondered if AI had a better sense of humor than me. So I asked it for a New Year's joke. It returned. Why was the calendar popular at the New Year's party? Because it had a lot of dates. And uh, my jokes are better than that, right? Right? Some of you are not very, very convincing there. An old promise for a new year. This year, I want you to remember that. That those promises 4,000 years ago, it's a personal promise. God wants to know you this year. He wants to walk with you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I, I send my comforter. I send the Holy Spirit to be with you if you're saved. If you're not saved, he wants to be your savior. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to change your eternal destination, and he wants to change your earthly purpose. He wants to give you a life more abundantly. 
God a personal promise. But, but it was also a promise of blessing. He promised to give them a purpose and a people and a land. And we're partakers. We're heirs of that, spiritually speaking. It was a symbolized promise. Our faith in God should, should lead to some differences in our lives. Should lead to, our home shouldn't look exactly like the home that knows nothing of the, of the power of God and the principles of God's word. There should be differences in the life of the believer. Isn't that why the world, unbelievers, so often push Christianity away? Well, if you say you're a Christian and that's, how, how, that's how it, what it does for your life, why would I ever want that? It's always been God's plan that there's something different about his people. And then not only a symbolized promise, but a faith-filled promise. This year, we got to stand on his promises. And it's going to take faith because there's going to be things, just like Abram and Sarah, there's going to be times where God's word doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sarah, the 90-year-old, is going to be a mother of nations. What? Has no children yet. Abram, the 100-year-old, is going to be a, a, be a father of nations. What? Has one 13-year-old. That's not true. That's not possible. But by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. This year, let's stand in His promises. Let's rest in His promises. Let's walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.